You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Eric Barton. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. I am not, if you're new to Bethel Bible Church, I want to welcome you. I am not Eric Barton, the senior pastor here, and I don't resemble him in any form or fashion, I don't think. But whenever I'm somewhere and there's a new speaker, for the first 10 minutes while that person's speaking, I'm going, who is this? Should I know who this is? So just uh, put up a slide just to kind of um, introduce me very briefly. My name is John Clace, that last name Rhymes with grace, but it's a tough spell. I, I admit I was 15 before I could spell it. Um, my wife, Connie, is in here somewhere. But anyway, we, are, uh, we have two grown sons. We're members of Bethel downtown. And uh, that's what I do for tent making, independent insurance consultant. Um, in a fit of insanity a couple weeks ago, Eric called me and asked if I would preach. In a greater fit of insanity, I said, okay, so... Uh, here I am. So um, he, he asked me to cover uh, chapter, John chapter 4. We've been in the Gospel of John the last several weeks. Uh, he asked me to cover 45 verses. And I remember him saying last week, 36 was going to make him really run. And um, so I, there's no way I can cover 45. So I've, I've narrowed it all the way down to 42 this morning. So we can, now we're going to be on a dead-on sprint. Um, But before we get started, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Father, we're so very grateful for the opportunity to look at your word this morning. We recognize that uh, it will do us no good unless you open our hearts to receive it. We ask that you would, that your spirit would illuminate us, us this morning, that you would impact us with your word, and that you would change our lives in some way this morning. We thank you for the way you'll answer. Amen. Well, let me give you the big idea of this passage. That might help us to kind of get the the forest, then we'll get into the trees. Uh, The big idea is eternal life, which this passage will address. Eternal life is received as a gift by believing Jesus. But there's a second part in this passage, and that is eternal life is enriched by obedience by serving Jesus. It's received as a gift. We'll talk a lot more about that. It's enriched by obedience. And we're going to see a contrast in this passage to show us very clearly those two aspects of that big idea. I was reading uh, sometime back a Christian publication. It was sort of like a Christian Reader's Digest where a lady wrote in about her experience of teaching Sunday school to five and six-year-olds and she wanted to, um, she was describing a very specific experience in teaching. She had taught the kids how to get to heaven, so she wanted to really drive home that point. So she did with a series of questions. She starts this way. She said, if I sold my house and my car, had a big garage sale and gave all the money to the church, would that get me to heaven? And the group resounded with, no. So she followed up with, she wanted to make sure she was driving home the point. She followed up with this question. If I clean the church every day, 
mowed the yard, kept everything neat and tidy, uh, would that get me to heaven? And the, and the chorus got louder, no! And she was really starting to enjoy this. In fact, she was kind of starting to kind of beam with pride that her class was getting it. And so she said, well then, if I was kind to animals, gave candy to all the children, and loved my husband, would that get me to heaven? And uh, the, the response was deafening, no! So at this point, she's going to drive it home and ask the key question, well then, class, how can I get to heaven? And very quickly, a five-year-old boy in the back yelled out, you got to be dead! Well, it wasn't really the answer she was looking for. We have to admit there's some truth to that, right? Uh, that's why when people talk about getting to heaven, uh, somebody might be afraid they're getting up a trip right then, and they're not, you know, a little nervous about it. But the Bible has some very good news for us. The Bible tells us that we can enter into an eternal relationship with God right here and now. We don't have to wait. In fact, this is the time to enter into that eternal relationship with God. You can know for sure that you're going to be with God forever. And if there's any passage of Scripture that tells us that for sure, I think it's John chapter 4. But I want to start with kind of a, the purpose statement of the Gospel of John, if we can put that next slide up, uh, which, um, and Eric has shown us this each Sunday before we've uh, gotten into John it's found in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. It says, And truly Jesus did many other signs, that word sign is miraculous signs. And the whole Gospel of John, by the way, it revolves around eight miraculous signs with the concluding one, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have, in fact, the word may actually could and should be translated will have life in his name. So essentially what this is saying, if we go to the next slide, John is writing, showing his readers how to receive eternal life by believing Jesus for it. That Jesus is the Christ, and the word, the phrase the Christ is used throughout the Gospel of John to refer to Jesus as the giver of eternal life. The Son of God shows His authority to give this life, to promise and guarantee this life to anyone who believes Him for it. And so John starts in uh, chapter 1, that's an appropriate place to start in a book, Chapter 1, he introduces Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. In chapter 2, he, he, um, he describes the first of eight signs that are coming in the Gospel of John to demonstrate that Jesus is the Christ, the giver of eternal life. In chapter 3, he presents the first of back-to-back -back portrayals to teach that one receives eternal life by believing Jesus for it. So let's talk about that back-to-back -back portrayal. The first one is found in John chapter 3. Eric presented that last week. The second back-to-back -back portrayal of receiving eternal life 
is found in John chapter 4. And we'll see the contrast there on this slide. It couldn't have any more greater contrast between these two portrayals than what you see in John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. We have a man in 3, we have a woman in 4, he's named in 3, Nicodemus, unnamed woman in chapter 4, religious Jew in chapter 3, immoral Samaritan woman in chapter 4, uh, he, the man in chapter 3 comes to Jesus, in chapter 4 Jesus comes to her, he comes to Jesus at night, secretly, Jesus comes to her at high noon, Jesus uses the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures to talk to this man because he's a teacher of Israel. That's what he would relate to. Jesus uses water to relate to the woman because as we're going to see, she comes out daily to get water from a very specific well. And so, as a result, we put all that together. We see in the next slide... The same message is presented to Nicodemus in chapter 3 as is presented to the Samaritan woman in chapter 4. No matter who you are, man, woman, religious, irreligious, immoral, uh, Samaritan, Jew, eternal life is received as a gift by believing Jesus for it. And so we're going to look at the second part of that contrast in chapter 4, and we begin with Jesus in the land of Judea, and we're going to begin, of course, appropriately with verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Now, this is the very first time in the Gospel of John, we're entering into chapter 4, but this is the first time in the Gospel of John that Jesus is called the Lord. It's interesting. But he has to be the Lord in order to be able to offer and guarantee eternal life to whoever believes for it. It's an important concept. And so as the Lord, he has the authority to offer eternal life. Now, in John chapter 3, specifically verse 26, we saw that there was kind of a growing, strangely, there was a growing jealousy among John the Baptist's disciples that people were kind of leaving, uh, they weren't following John as much, and they were starting to follow uh, Jesus. And so, as a result, Jesus decided to head north, and he's going to move out of John's territory in Judea, which is uh, right around Jerusalem in the south of Israel. He's going to move out of John's territory to allow John to finish up the last days of his ministry while Jesus begins his ministry up in Galilee. Now, um, so let's, let's pick that up in verse 4, and we'll read verses 4 and 6. But he needed to go through Samaria... So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey and thus sat thus by the well, it was about the sixth hour. The sixth hour, by the way, would have been noon because the Jews uh, in that culture measured time from sunup, which is about 6 a.m., and so the sixth hour would have been noon. But what we notice here is that he needed to go through Samaria. This is interesting because geographically he didn't have to go through Samaria. 
Now you've got Judea in the south where he was. He was going to go north to Galilee. Samaria does reside between, but there was an eastern route that bypassed Samaria that Jews typically used because they didn't want to have any dealings with Samaritans. They didn't want any part of Samaria, so they would go on that eastern route. But Jesus somehow, for some reason, needed to go through Samaria. Geographically, he didn't need to, but he needed to in order to keep a divine appointment with a woman who didn't know about this divine appointment at the time. And so Jesus, being wearied from his journey, sat down by a well to rest. Now, Jesus is the Son of God, and as the Son of God, he has always existed as God from all eternity past, but at a point in time, he came, entered into this world, took on flesh, became, uh, took on flesh like you and I, a body like ours, um, as, as uh, having a human body, he would feel some of the same things we felt. He would get tired at times. And so he sat down, being tired, he sat at this well. But in reality, it was uh, not simply because he was tired, but he was waiting at this well for his divine appointment to show up. And so, right on time, on divine time, the Samaritan woman arrived, as we see in the following verses. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. The woman came to the well to draw water, but Jesus had a different plan, and so he opens up his agenda by asking her for a drink. Now, this was shocking for her for two reasons. One is, in that culture, men didn't typically address women publicly, and Jesus was alone there. His disciples had gone into town to find a Brookshire's to get food to bring back. Um, but secondly, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so this, he opened the conversation in this way in order to grab her attention. And what he was doing was beginning his agenda of leading her into an eternal relationship with God. Now he's going to talk to her about water. And we're going to see a great contrast in this passage. Water versus food. Now we saw the contrast of Nicodemus, and we're going to see the second part of that contrast of the woman. But within this chapter, there's a contrast of water versus food. He's going to talk to the woman about water. He's going to talk to his disciples about food. The woman comes to get water, and so he's going to address her about that. Now the request is, is fascinating. Give me a drink, because the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. They didn't share anything with Samaritans. And another thing about this request, he's asking for her for a drink, but he has no vessel from which to drink. So guess what? He's really asking her to share her vessel to give him a drink of water. That startled her. In fact, it shocked her. And it showed her this is no ordinary Jewish man. <laughs> this is somebody else. And in fact... We see in this request showed her that he was no ordinary man as we look at the next verse. Jesus answered and said to her, 
if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, in the original language, in, in the Greek language in which the New Testament was originally written, this verse could be translated in this way. If we see the next slide. Jesus, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, so far, that's the same, give, a drink, give me a drink, you would have already asked him and he would have already given you living water. Now, what is this living water? Well, it is actually the truth that this woman needs to know to receive eternal life. And he's already surfaced this truth. He's surfaced two aspects of it, the gift and the giver. In fact, these two concepts of the living water are so important that he spends the next 16 verses addressing. Verses 11 through 15, he addresses the gift. And in verses 16 to 26, he clarifies his identity as the giver of this gift. This is the living water or the water of life that she needs to know in order to receive eternal life. And so um, there, is a, there is an ambiguity going on here. In other words, there are two meanings. He's using a word with two meanings. And the word is living. It's translated as living. That word can also be translated as flowing. Now, the Gospel of John is kind of famous for using ambiguities. It's like you go back to chapter 1. Jesus is, has just cleaned out the temple. He's standing in the temple. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Well, he wasn't talking about that temple, though that's what they thought. He was talking about his resurrection from the dead in the future. Now, John's um, and Jesus uses ambiguities throughout. Well, here's one he uses to grab her attention. So he thinks, or she thinks, he is talking about flowing water. Some water that's unique from the stagnant pool of water that was residing in Jacob's well. And so, as we see in the next verses, the woman responds by saying to him, Sir, uh, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this flowing or living water. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? She's really asking two questions here. She's asking about the source of the water. Where's this flowing or living water coming from? And who are you? <laughs> are you really, are you greater than Jacob who gave us this well? Now Jacob was renowned among both Jews and Samaritans. He was uh, the father of Israel. In fact, God gave him the name Israel, the father of the 12 sons of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, this was a well that Jacob had established, and so to the Samaritans, this was a unique, very special well with very special water. However, it was like any other well. It would only provide temporary satisfaction. That's why she had to take her water pot out to this well every day from which to draw water. But Jesus is talking about a different kind of water, and we see that from the answer he gives in the next verses. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water, referring to the Jacob's well water, will thirst again. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. He's making a very important contrast here, a very jarring contrast, one that would grab her attention and help her to understand about this gift that he offers. Uh, clearly, that waters for which she tried to drink uh, would only provide temporary satisfaction. In fact, that's not the only water she tried to drink. And we're going to see she tried to drink from the water of relationships. And she goes through one relationship after another, and there was no satisfaction in it. But the water Jesus offers provides eternal satisfaction. In fact, that, that phrase where he says, the water that I shall give him, whoever drinks the water I shall give him will never thirst. In the, again, in the original language, in the Greek language in which this is written, it's a, it's a very powerful, very strong statement. It literally could read, uh, whoever drinks the water I will give him will never, ever thirst again forever. I mean, if that couldn't be clear enough. Whoever drinks of the water that Jesus offers will never, ever thirst again. Now, there's something else important here in this passage that we just read. Jesus uses the word drink as a metaphor for believe. The Gospel of John uses metaphors for the word to believe, for the word to believe, uh, yes, for the word believe. Um, also, he uses a form of the word believe 99 times in the Gospel of John, as if he doesn't want us to miss something. 99 times. So if we read it once, he's going to provide 98 more uses so that we get it, so that we don't miss the point. And so he is, he is offering her a very special water. This water is the truth that she needs to believe, to receive eternal life. The gift and the giver, and upon believing this truth, the water that he gives her would become in her a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. In other words, once she believed about the gift and the giver, she would have life forever that she could never lose. She would never thirst again forever. But this woman was not yet tracking with Jesus. I don't blame her. I probably wouldn't be tracking with him yet at this point. So the woman says to him in verse 15, Sir, give me this water that I might not thirst, nor come here to draw. Clearly, she wasn't getting what that water was yet. So to make his point, Jesus says to her in the next verse, Go call your husband and come here. This leads to the following interaction. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, Ah, yes, you've answered well. <laughs> I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. Could have been somebody else's, but it wasn't hers. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. It's like she was nailed. How could this how could this Jewish man from the outside understand all of this information about her? Clearly, this was somebody unique. This was a prophet. And in this, 
the woman is moving. There's a movement of this woman in the gospel. I mean, in this chapter already, she begins thinking he's an ordinary Jewish man. Now, then she begins to think, based on his question, uh, his approach to her, this is no ordinary Jewish man. Then she becomes to feel like maybe this one is greater than Jacob because he's providing a greater source of water. And now she's come to the point where she believes he's a prophet. Jesus is leading her along to this truth regarding the water that she needs to understand and from which she needs to drink. And so um, Jesus' point here, though, it's important to see, is not to get her to see how sinful she is. That is not his point. His point is to grab her attention about who he really is. And I believe that he's not trying to get her to see how sinful she is because I think she understood her failures. There's no argument from her. Uh, she goes, I, I perceive you're a prophet. You know me. You understand me. Um, and in the, in the first contrast we had, in the back-to-back -back contrast in Gospel of John, back in chapter 3, Jesus offers the same um, eternal life to Nicodemus in the same way, and he doesn't try to see, get Nicodemus to see how sinful he is. That is not the point here. But the point is to see that Jesus is not some ordinary Jewish man who is making this offer. Once she understands the gift, then she needs to believe that Jesus has the authority to give this gift, and that's where this movement is taking her. And so, she believes she is before a prophet now. And there's been a question that's haunted Samaritans that they've argued over, Samaritans and Jews, not just Samaritans, for many, many, many years. And so if she's in the presence of a prophet, she's going to test him with this question. And so we see that in the next verse. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Now, she's, she's making a statement here, but in reality, Jesus knows she's asking a question. So he answers that as such in the following verses. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Here's an implicit reference to the Messiah being Jewish. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, Jesus is predicting that in the future, the place of worship will no longer be an issue. He's actually predicting what we call the church age, which began in Pentecost back in Acts chapter 2, when God poured his Holy Spirit out on his disciples for the first time on a permanent basis. At that, from that point on, the place of worship was not an issue, whether it's in the temple or, or wherever it is. But his answer surprised her, but it made sense to her somehow. And it led her to see him as someone who is even more 
than a prophet. Could this one be the Messiah? The Messiah is a Jewish term that means the anointed one. He is the one, well, the Greek term for Messiah is the Christ. He is the one who would come in the future to bring God's kingdom to the earth. But before he does that, he has to come as a man and to die on a cross in payment for our sins. And then rise from the dead in in order to be able to conquer sin and death once for all forever. So that he can offer eternal life as a free gift to everyone who will receive it. She wants to ask Jesus if he is the Christ, the Messiah. But she puts her question into a statement as she did earlier, and so she responds in this way. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And she's thinking, he's told me all things that I've ever done already. Could this be the Christ? And with this answer, well, Jesus responds in this way in the next verse. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He knew she was really asking a question, so he answers it. And with this answer, Jesus has given her the living water to drink. He has told her about the gift. He has now identified himself as the giver. She now has the water from which to drink in order to believe that he is the giver of eternal life for her, even for her, even for an immoral Samaritan woman. And she comes to realize that. She came at that moment, I believe, to see that Jesus is the Christ, the giver of eternal life, and she believed him for his promised gift. And at that point, Jesus' disciples return, and we see that in the next verse. At this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? Now, with their arrival back from Brookshire's with food, uh, the woman leaves. It's because her divine appointment is finished. It's concluded. Jesus has offered her the living water. She knows, she has the information she needs to believe, and she believes. She believes in him as the Christ, the giver of eternal life. And she had come in search of water, but she left having received a water that satisfies eternally. And the evidence that she received that eternal life is presented to us in the next three verses. The woman then left her water pot. Very significant. We could easily gloss over that. That is a critical uh, observation. The woman left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the man, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. She left her water pot. What an amazing thing because... This is what kind of sustained her life in a sense. She had come every day with this water pot to gather much needed water for sustenance for herself and her family and maybe animals they were raising. But this was critical to life. But she left it because she had found and received a water 
that was much greater, that would satisfy eternally. And so she goes on into the city. She had drunk of that water. She goes into the city and she announces to the men of the city that she had found the Christ. Well, she announces it in the form of a question. Earlier, this woman had presented two questions in the form of statements. Now, I believe she's presenting a statement in the form of a question. Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Why did she put her discovery in this way? Why doesn't she just go into town and announce to these men of the city, I have found the Christ. I have found the Christ. Well, think about this. This was an immoral woman living in a male-dominated culture. She was married and divorced five times. She's currently shacked up a guy, with a guy who was not her husband. What kind of authority and credibility do you think she had among the men? Zero. But to provide a testimony like this, come see a man who told me all things that I've ever done, and then pose the statement in the form of a question, could this be the Christ? It worked. That was the best and most powerful and brilliant way she could have presented it. And she does it. And as a result, it grabs their attention. And it works. They believed. In fact, we see that they went out of the city and came to Jesus. And then in verse 39, we see, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified he told me all that I ever did. Let's pause here just for a minute. Think about this. This woman, all we know about her is she's an unnamed, and the reason she's not named, I believe, is because she wasn't important in that culture in that time. She's a Samaritan woman. She's, she's living in immorality, searching from one relationship to the next for something that would satisfy. Just gave up and just shacked up with somebody. And yet... Look how God uses her. Immediately, she goes off into the city and presents, I, somebody, I found a man who told me all things that I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? God uses her to bring that water of life to men of the city, and they believe, <laughs> and, and, and they receive eternal life. Their destiny is changed forever as a result of that, what that woman has done. Think about that if you think God can't use you. <laughs> think about that just for a moment. Uh, <laughs> it is a powerful thing to think that God can use even me, but he can use every one of us. Now, the men had believed in him, and that phrase in the Gospel of John, if we go to the next slide, that phrase, believed in him, is used in the Gospel of John as a shortened form of Believing Jesus for eternal life. And it's used a number of times throughout the Gospel of John, but it's kind of abbreviated. Believing Jesus for what he offers, which is eternal life. By one drink of the truth, that Jesus is the Christ, that he gives eternal life, they, these men also, had entered into an eternal relationship with God with, along with this woman. Well, as we continue to read in this passage, in the meantime... Jesus' disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? 
Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. Now we're entering into the second part of the contrast within John chapter 4. The first part was water that He presents to the Samaritan woman. The second part is food that He presents to His followers, the disciples. He didn't need to present this water to His disciples because if we go all the way back to chapter 1, the Gospel of John, we see that they had believed in Him. At least 11 of the 12, Judas had not believed. But the others had already drunk of the water of life. He didn't need to keep telling them about the water of life. He needs to talk to them about food. And the food is to do God's work. It is to do the will of Him who sent me to finish His work. And we see one aspect of that food presented in verses 35 to 38. As Jesus continues, Do not say that there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. One area of the food of obedience Jesus now surfaces is to present the water of life to unbelievers, to others like the woman did with the men of Sychar. And each of us can do the same in our own ways. That's one aspect. It's, and what Jesus is talking about when he says, uh, they're, uh, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, they're already white for harvest. These men of Sychar are beginning to pour out to come to Jesus. And Jesus had sown seed into this woman. This woman had sown, her, sown seed to these men who had believed. And now other men are coming out. And now it's the disciples' opportunity to be able to participate in this harvest. To sow and to reap and to bring others to eternal life. To gather fruit for eternal life. That he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Whether you sow or whether you reap, whether you present the good news of the gift and the giver and you don't see somebody believe or receive eternal life, but down the road God uses somebody else to bring in the harvest, you're just as important as they are. You're just as important as somebody else who sees people come to faith in Jesus. You're part of the whole harvest. And as a result, you're going to be rewarded. Jesus mentions a word here. He says um, um, that he who sows, he who, uh, one sows, one reaps, but they both will participate. He who reaps receives wages. Wages is the term that we're looking for here. And the word for wage is also the same word for reward. And this concept is replete throughout Scripture. God offers reward to His faithful followers. He offers reward to those who pursue the food of God, who seek to uh, share the water of life uh, with others. Uh, though the, the pursuing the food can come in other ways as well, pursuing His will means being a good father and husband and uh, a 
participating in uh, representing Jesus to others. But those who do will receive reward, not just simply reward here, but God offers eternal reward. It's an enhanced experience of the eternal life that he gives. He wants you to receive eternal life as a free gift, but he wants you to have an enriched experience of that by pursuing the food that he offers. And so both receive wages, both receive eternal reward. Obedient followers will be rewarded with an enhanced, if we go to the next slide, an enhanced eternal experience. Well, there's where we want to go right there. And many of the Samaritans of that city believe. So here John is now concluding this passage with these verses. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe. Do you see repetition going on here? Believe, believe, believe. Not because of what you said, but for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world, the giver of eternal life. Now John emphasizes that one receives eternal life by simply believing Jesus for it. In fact, as I mentioned earlier, a form of the word believe occurs 99 times in the Gospel of John. It occurs three times just in these last few verses. He is trying to drive home a point. According to the Gospel of John, we believe Jesus for the gift of eternal life. At the moment we do, we've got it. Jesus guarantees it. Well, let's go to slide 41. I want to close with three points here. So, if you're here today and you do not know for sure that you have eternal life, you can know. You can walk out of here assured. It's not based on what you do. It's not based on how you live. Think of what we just saw. Picture of an immoral Samaritan woman living in immorality. Jesus did not challenge her to change her lifestyle would he like her to yes but changing a lifestyle is not how you receive eternal life that's not at all part of receiving eternal life it's a gift you can't do anything for it jesus already did everything for it he offers it freely as a gift and at the moment you believe him for it you've got it it's forever you'll never thirst again forever. The second point I want to make is, if you have received eternal life, then John 4 instructs you to pursue the food that God has for you. That is to do His work. Uh, one aspect of that is simply sharing the water of life with others about the two important concepts, the gift and the giver. The gift is eternal life, life with God forever that you cannot lose once you receive it, and the giver of it is Jesus Christ. And once you believe him for that promise, you've got it. It's simple. And God had to make it simple so I could be able to share it with others. I know that. Two aspects to it. Simple. And once someone receives it, their destiny is changed forever. The third concept I want to share is there are other ways to do the work of God or pursue the food of doing God's will by serving others. 
by representing Jesus to others as a parent, as an employee, as an employer in the workforce, by serving in the church, by meeting the needs of others, you're laying up wages that is eternal reward. You're enriching your eternal experience. So I want to close with this. So regarding eternal life, we learn this in John 4, if we can go to our last slide. Eternal life, slide, yep, that's it. Eternal life is received as a gift by believing Jesus. Once you believe him for it, you've got it. It's enriched by obedience, by serving Jesus. Let's close our time together by standing and we'll have a word of prayer together. Father, we're so very grateful for your word. Thank you for having communicated this to us. And thank you, Father, we'll be eternally grateful for what Jesus has done for us. He's already done the work of providing eternal life for us. And I ask if there's anyone here who has not received that assurance of eternal life, that they would this morning by simply realizing Jesus guarantees eternal life to them too if they simply believe him for it. Father, help the rest of us to, to pursue the food that God has for us, the work uh, to finish your work, to do your will by representing Jesus to those around us, including representing him by offering the water of life to unbelievers. And Father, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for the way you'll answer. Amen. You're dismissed. Thanks for allowing me to be with you. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.